So Luke chapter 2, if you're not there, please turn there. And, and we're, we're, we've been in the Gospel of Luke, and we're talking about the Gospel that is the good news. The Gospel of Luke is the good news for those who least expect it. Like Jesus, uh, the Dr. Luke, was, was showing us Jesus from, from a different perspective, and he was coming to, to people who were humble, and he was coming to the, the, some that were unwanted. It was, uh, it was an uncommon thing that, to, to think about God coming to people like uh, women and, and using uh, women to be carrying out the testimony of, uh, of, of, of what God had planned. Uh, later on, like next week, a couple of weeks, we'll see he did this with shepherds who were, who were kind of sort of seen as the bad guys. But, but God is bringing good news to those who least expected, the unlikely like barren women like Elizabeth and old men like Zechariah. And here he is, he's, he's coming to those who don't have a lot of control in society, a lot of um, clout in society. And that, that's sort of one of our key problems in our society, is that we think we are in control. Or we have come to understand that we are not in control, and that makes us despair. A sort of humorous example of this is in the movie Talladega Nights. Not a recommendation, necessarily, okay? Just put that out there. But in one of the scenes, um, probably a famous scene, is Ricky Bobby and his family sits down to pray. Uh, he, he begins his prayer, so someone is already rolling with laughter at this, I, I wasn't trying to be that funny, but this is my problem, when I'm not trying to be funny, it's funny. Okay, but he sits down to pray, and he prays a little baby Jesus, you guys know this scene, right, a little baby Jesus, we, we just thank you for all that you've done. Okay, this is Ricky Bob, the, the writers of Talladega Nights were actually humorously uh, showing a, a culture that thinks that they can control Jesus. They sit down to their dinner of Domino Pizza, KFC, Taco Bell, and they mock the culture that thinks that they can t- control God. And Ricky Bobby is, you know, little baby Jesus. And his wife's like, you know, you don't, he's a grown man. He grew up. It's weird to pray to a baby. And Ricky Bobby says, I like the Christmas Jesus. The Christmas, I like praying to the Christmas Jesus. When you say grace, you can pray to whatever Jesus you want to. And she, and, and she goes on to say, you know what I want? I want you to do this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow. And the friend pipes in. You know, when I picture Jesus, I picture him in a tuxedo t-shirt because, it, you know, it's formal, but it, it, it says, I like to party. And I like to party, so I want my Jesus to like to party. Well, friends, that, that is, it is funny and, and, and close to uh, heretical and, and yet, it, it pictures and shows kind of what our society, how our society takes Jesus. We like him in a manger. We like little baby Jesus like we want him to be. But friends, God is not someone, Jesus being God, is not someone we, that can be controlled, that we can control. God sovereignly directs history through faithful humility. That's the sort of point of, I, I think, one of the points that verses one through seven in Luke chapter two is getting at for us. God, in the form of man, 
God is controlling history. He's directing history, the very events of history, overriding and overruling so, so that he might do good to his, to his creation uh, through faithful humility. And we're going to see this in uh, th- three points, in a decree, a line, and a birth. So let's, let's read the text. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. This is God's word. So in those, in those days, this decree went out. And we see, as Luke starts out within those days, Luke is placing the birth, the virgin birth of Jesus in the record books of history. He even said that later on, he repeats it several times, and they went to be registered, to be registered. It was in those days. This, the God, uh, God who uh, planned this salvation by sending his son to become human flesh has put this in the record books of history. This is true history. This is historical facts. It's, it's out of the sort of psychological realm where we have Jesus as an idea or a, a psychological help for us, and this is in the realm of history. God is working out history to bring his promises to pass. Now, whether you believe in the virgin birth or not, understand that Luke, the doctor who is authoring this, actually does believe it. So I'm not... I'm not I'm not saying, uh, what, what I am saying is that Luke believes in the virgin birth. And I, 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 I guess I just sort of want to draw out this point because I, I think it's important for us to understand that, that Luke and the, the authors of the Gospels and the New Testament believe miracles could happen. And you might be in a, in, in a place, in a, an environment where people ridicule you for believing something like this. And you might feel ashamed at times to tell people that you believe in something like the virgin birth. A miracle could happen like this, and people might ridicule you for being gullible or uneducated. But don't let that scare you from believing it. It's true. It's in the record books of history. R.C. Sproul said this, the Bible does not imagine. Now, just think about this from, Mary, from other people's perspective who don't believe in the virgin birth. Sometimes they have a misunderstanding of what it was, uh, that Mary just, by her own power of herself, uh, she became impregnated. But that, that's not how the Bible imagines it or understands it to be. Mary became preg- did not become pregnant by herself as if she had power in herself to do it. But the Bible understands that there was a power and that power was in God who made the universe. He normally worked through, through a, a man and a woman who come together as husband and wife. Uh, he nor- worked through normal processes. 
natural processes to, for men and women to, to reproduction, to have children. But in this instance, God overruled what naturally happens. And Mary, a virgin, became pregnant. That, it is a tr- it's true, it's a great miracle, but there's a, even a greater miracle purported by naturalist, R.C. Sproul says, and that was that the virgin birth of the universe. People believe that the universe popped out of nothing. The Big Bang says that the universe popped out of nothing, that the universe gave birth to itself. That's a, it's a greater miracle than even the virgin birth of, of Jesus Christ, that the universe created itself. Friends, one of the reasons we may have a hard time believing this or might be ashamed of believing this is because we want to control the narrative. And, and if it doesn't fit into our preconceived notions, then we will not believe it. That is, friends, putting ourselves in the driver's seat like Ricky Bobby. No, no pun intended. It's us trying to control things, whether our reputation or what we actually believe can actually happen. There's a power behind the history of this universe and and behind the virgin birth of Mary that is God himself, that can overrule natural processes to, to do what he has done in the birth of the Messiah. This is this is true history. The virgin birth. And Jesus is Lord of it all. Jesus is not only Lord of history, he's the true king. He overrides in the evil purposes of evil kings through his providential directing. So one of Luke's main points here, I think, is to show that God, in his plan to redeem his people, is the Lord of history. He, he is more powerful than the kings and governors of this world. No, notice, in those days, what happened? A decree went out from Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria or before Quirinius was governor of Syria. Some translations have it. And all went to be registered, each to his town. So, God, so Luke is setting up that there is a king of the known world named Caesar Augustus. And he's made a decree. And that decree had to be obeyed by, if you're going to be a law-abiding citizen. But what God was doing was overruling and overriding that decree to fit his purposes, or actually using that decree to fit his purposes. Because the, the text that Mackenzie read for us this morning it, from Micah chapter 5 says that the ruler, the Messiah, would have to be born in Bethlehem, Ephrata, even though it was small and out of the way, even though Mary and Joseph had to travel some ways to get there. Don't you see how God is overriding the decrees even of Caesar Augustus to show that he is the true king and that the Messiah, who was promised 700 years earlier to be born in Bethlehem, would be born in Bethlehem. So who's really in charge here? When you strip back all the accoutrements of the rulers of history, you can see who has the ultimate power. 
Caesar Augustus can make a decree that the whole known world should be taxed and local governors can enforce that, ta- enforce that taxation, calling people to their homelands, but behind it all is the sovereign power of God organizing where the true king of history is gonna be born to show that he's the Lord of history. Vladimir Putin, Joe Biden, Hamas, Donald Trump, they're not the true rulers of history. They're not finally in charge. God uses even their evil, he, he brings it together to, to, to work out his own purposes for this world and overrides them all. Caesar Augustus can, can make a census so people will pay their taxes and have to go to their hometown, and behind it all, God is working so that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem exactly where he promised 700 years before. When Caesar acts within his role as supreme ruler of Rome and decrees a census and the local governors require Joseph to come to Bethlehem, they made real decisions that they will be held responsible for. But somehow, God's mysterious providence, sovereignly directing it all to accomplish his ultimate purpose for the history of this world. God is the final and full ruler of history. Friends, if, if you have a hard time believing this, um, you, you can look to uh, Genesis chapter 50. And there's another Joseph in Genesis chapter 50 who was sold into slavery by his own brothers, who was mistreated, who was imprisoned, and then exalted to to the right hand of Pharaoh in Egypt that he might help save the whole world. And when his brothers find out that he is the the one that they sold to slavery but now has come to power and he has the power over life and death for them, and their father died and they're afraid that Joseph's gonna use his power to kill them. And in Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 and 21, they come and they fall down before him and said, we are your servants, just please don't kill us. Genesis 50, 19. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for, I am, I, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now if God can overrule something like that, surely he can overrule the decree of a Caesar. That even greater than that, our Lord Jesus, that the book of Acts in chapter four tells us that, that people, uh, the Jewish people and the, and the Romans, uh, sought to put the, the Lord of history to death and they, and they did it, but behind it all was the purposes of God that he might save the whole world alive. God, his Lord over history and rulers, he is a Lord over the rulers of the earth. This should give us confidence that he is in control of our history, of our country, of the place that you live. Friends, we do not need to fear the 2024 election. 
We do not need to fear governments and cultures in any unhealthy ways. We don't have to be naive about it, but we don't have to fear it because God is in control. What has he given us to do? To pray. You know what? We, ha- we can vote. Joseph didn't get a vote, Caesar Augustus, into power. We can vote. God, God has given us these things, and yet behind all of it, God is directing history to his final goal, and that is the glory of God in Jesus Christ as he reigns over all things. And right now, in our text, how he is reigning is putting his own son in Bethlehem through a census. Friends, what, some, what are some things that we can do as we, as we fear the control of maybe governments or rulers or governors or, or, or whatever you are maybe tempted to fear? Pray, pray that God would help you submit to him as king. That the decrees of man would work out to serve the purposes of God. Paul tells Timothy to pray those very things in, in public, that we might live a life of peace, that God's purposes would, would be worked through the works of man. God sovereignly directs history through faithful humility. So God sovereignly directs history in this way, as the Lord of history, over all people and all places and all times. You can be assured of that as he's directing Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem so that the Messiah might be born in this place, the, the city of David. But he's also sovereignly directing individuals and family histories. God is directing not only sovereignly over the earth's history, he's directing history through a line. Verses four and five. We, we see that Joseph went up from Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. God is sovereignly working through history, but God is faithfully working through this family line of, that Joseph just happens to be in just happens to be betrothed or engaged to the, the mother of God, the mother of the son of God, Jesus. And Joseph, we, as we have said before, you can find it in 2 Samuel 7, not Joseph, but God had promised David that he would perpetuate his line forever and ever, that a, a king would always sit on the throne from his line. And, and in one sense, this is a reminder, a small reminder that God is faithful to his promises. He's working through a line, just through a a family line, a family lineage. You know, in one sense, Joseph wasn't that special. He was affected by the census, just like everybody else. His everyday life wasn't affected much by his family line. You know, he, he was a carpenter. He lived... In Nazareth, and no, I don't think anyone went around saying, "Oh, there's Joseph of the, of the house of David." You know, his his uh, his great 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 grandfather was was King David. No one, <laughs> they were like, "That's the carpenter. He works with wood. Not that special." His everyday life wasn't really affected that much, but here here it was affected. It was a it was gloriously affected. I don't know how much. Joseph knew or celebrated. The scripture doesn't tell us how much he knew about the connection to Micah 5 and he's like, oh, a virgin's gonna be born and, and my, my fiance is a virgin who's gonna give birth. 
And now we're going to Bethlehem, and, and Micah tells us in the scroll that Bethlehem's the place of the Messiah. How much did he know? I don't know. But if by the Spirit he was paying attention to the scrolls that were read in the synagogue, he would have known. He would have seen God directing the history of this man and the whole world through the promised birth in this promised place. And Joseph was a poor carpenter from an unknown town. The town Nazareth, we've talked about before, was unknown. Caesar didn't know Nazareth. I guarantee you he didn't know Nazareth. But it was known by God. The, the true king, the true, the true ruler of, of, of Rome and all the earth knew Nazareth. Joseph was an unknown carpenter, but known by God, the true king, the true ruler of the whole world, and he was directing his path as he's directing yours, your family line, your the very family you were born into is directed by his sovereign hand. It wasn't a mistake. You may feel that you are unknown and unimportant. We are in a relatively obscure town in the middle of Oregon. I can't tell you how many times I tell people I live in a college town in Oregon, Oregon State University, and they're like, oh, the ducks, right? And I'm like, dude, seriously? Well, that's what it had been like to be in Nazareth. Oh, Nazareth? I never heard of it. But God knows and is faithful to direct Joseph because he was from the tribe of Judah. He had to be taxed in the home of his ancestors, Bethlehem, just as was predicted 700 years earlier. And we are assured that God knows us the same way. Every hair on our head, every thing about us, your whole history was planned out by God. God has promised and is faithful to keep his promises, even in something like the family and the place of the, that the Messiah was born. Not only can you trust God because he's sovereign enough to direct history, you can also trust him because he's faithful to keep his promises. He's faithful to direct your history. Your life is not random or irredeemable. God can override the evil that has happened to you, and he can override the evil that you have done because of the cross, because of, because of his power to, to, to keep his promises through the Messiah. And this is just a, a foretaste of those promises. Born in a little place called Bethlehem. We don't know tons about Joseph, but we do, what we do know from Scripture is that he was an honorable man of faith, that he believed God. We know his, his family, his family line. We know the town he lived in. We know he took his fiance Mary down to Bethlehem to re, be registered. Probably to escape. One of the reasons we scholars think that Joseph took Mary there. Was she didn't have to go? She she wasn't required. It was the it was the male who had to go to be registered, unless she owned property or something, which could have happened, but is not likely. But they probably went. He probably took Mary to escape the small town gossips that would that would, would heap ridicule on her in her ninth month of pregnancy. How how mean can small town gossips be? Just ask Jonathan Smith how mean small town gossips can be. Is that too soon? Too soon? <laughs> Is he still the enemy? Okay, sorry. 
Joseph was getting out of town for, wasn't getting out of town for a better job. He was getting out of town because the Lord was directing him to be registered, probably escaped ridicule. He was trying to protect his, his wife and the, the son of God from being nine, you know, her being nine months pregnant and not yet being married and facing the ridicule that she would face. Here he is, the unknown Joseph, God's faithfulness being displayed through his life, and Joseph being faithful to God, to, to Mary, even though he didn't know all that would take place. What is the lesson for us, dear friends? God is faithful to direct uh, even something like a family line, even something like your family. And what does he call forth from us to emulate his faithfulness, to be, to be faithful to him, to, through the gospel, to, to in, in thanks and in praise for what he has done through this great salvation, to, to be faithful to God himself, caring for others like, like Joseph did for, for Mary and this baby by uh, adopting the son of God, being the adoptive father of the son of God that would protect him from the, 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 the serpent's clamp down on him as as Jesus would be born, Joseph played a vital role in that because God was faithful to him. And not only was God sovereign in history, directing all of history, faithful through this, this line he has preserved, God was doing all of this through humility, through a humble birth. In verse 6 of Luke chapter 2, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Um, most likely, they had been there for a while, and then she gave birth. It wasn't like we probably like what we think of in the story where they just show up to Bethlehem, and all of a sudden, they, she gives birth. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end, a humble birth. How would God save the world? God would save the world through humble faithfulness, through, through humility. God come to be born of a teenage virgin to a poor man from Nazareth. At the time of birth, this poor couple was not even able to find a room. The, the word uh, here is guest room, this, the same word used for the room that they ate the Lord's Supper in. And they were 70 miles from home, and they looked for a place, but everywhere they looked, there was no vacancy. That sign on the motel, you know, there's no vacancy. There was no room available for them. Literally, there was no guest room available at any house or, or any inn. It's likely that most of the places were... Uh, were a house that had a guest room attached to it, and in, in, the, in the middle of the, of the house is, is where they would keep the, the, the cattle and the livestock, and they would be able to feed them indoors, and that is the place where some kind soul, some innkeeper said, I, I don't have any place available, but you can, you can, have, you can have the place where the, the cattle and the, the sheep and the livestock are. At least you'll be warm and and out of the cold. And it's there where the Son of God, who not long before was sitting in the glories of heaven with the Father. He came from a place that we long for, 
a place greater than Solomon's temple, a place greater than any palace you have ever seen. And he came, was born of a virgin in a cattle stall. We sang about that. In a cattle stall. This is true humility. What prince has ever been born in a cattle stall, laid in a manger? Because there wasn't a guest room available. Mary and Joseph had to, had to stay in the place where they, they kept the livestock. And that was a kindness of this innkeeper. We shouldn't think of him as begrudging them. No, he was, he was exhibiting hospitality, but this was the best place. And it was showing, it was showing forth the humility of, of, of God who did not hold on to his place as God, but clothed himself in, in human flesh to come to be, to be a servant. I mean, most servants aren't even born in a place like this. Here's the Messiah, here's the God of the universe who directs history, humbling himself. Being born in a dirty place reminding us that he has come to deal with the dirt of our sin, sleeping in, in a feeding trough, reminding us that he, he came to take on our sin, our wickedness. God demonstrates that the way he rules the world and will save the world is through humility, a humble faithfulness, his birth was to reflect both his life and his death. Foxes have places to lay their heads, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Dear friend, this Christmas season, we might be tempted, I, am, I know I'm tempted to selfishness and to think about what I get or I didn't get or how I got to rest or didn't get to rest or what I have or don't have. Let us think about Jesus, who though he was God, did not think equality with God something to be grasped onto, but emptied himself of his glory and became a servant. Friends, this is the gospel for those who least expect it. While many waited for the Messiah, no one expected the Messiah's birth to happen like this. Only those who have been humbled by God's marvelous working will embrace an unexpected Messiah coming in unexpected ways. So, so this Christmas, dear friend, when, when you open that present and are surprised that you got something like this, you're, something unexpected, say a prayer and thank God for Jesus, our Messiah, who came in unexpected ways. Hail in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. He is with us. This is the gospel. Comes in unexpected ways for unlikely people, bringing us all the way home to be with him. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for this good news. We thank you that you sovereignly direct history. There's, there's nothing outside of your control, even, even this morning. But even the mistakes that we make or the evil that happens, you are working all things together for the good of those who love you, who those are called according to your purpose. And, and 
Father, we, we want to bow to that sovereignty. We thank you for your faithfulness to keep your promises as we celebrate this Advent, this Christmas, that you have kept your promises. All the promises of, of Christ are yes and amen in, in him. And Father, I, I do pray that as our Savior came, directing history through, through his humble faithfulness, that you would work humility in our lives as well. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.